0: In the cinematic sea of prequels, sequels, reboots, and reimaginings, the Movie Retakes podcast considers the merits and desires for Hollywood's new takes on our beloved movie classics. Brothers Matt and Chris Sully examine the latest retake franchises, pitch their own original retake visions, and
1: share their love for the movies that made them. This is Big Sully. And this is Matt, Three Alarm Sully. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Panic, everybody. It's fire in the disco. Ah, uh, welcome everybody to another episode of Movie Retakes where uh, Brother Sully and I take on these reboots that are happening pretty much every day. And uh, today's reboot retake is Firestarter. Joe, she's just a little girl. She can light fires, yes, but you're making her sound like Armageddon. Yes. And that's what it might well be. Suppose we have a child here who someday is capable of creating a nuclear explosion simply by the power of her will. Insert fire flame noises here. Fire. You can't just shout that anywhere. But we're shouting it here. This episode is going to be fire. Uh, And you guys have some things to do if you haven't done them already. You gotta follow us. You gotta subscribe to us. Uh, Get over on Twitter. Get on Twitch. Uh, Especially Twitch, we do almost every wednesday we do some movie trivia which is a ton of fun and it's free to play and you can win some stickers and other good times are had uh but yeah j- just generally follow us over there so you can um see when new episodes are up uh and play some trivia along with that sort of thing do we have any special thanks i didn't uh ask you before <laughs>
0: No Nund? new reviews. What?
1: I don't know what we have to do to entice
0: people to leave reviews. But you? if you've listened to this and you enjoy what you're hearing, maybe hit pause. And if you're on your iPhone, just scroll down to the bottom of our podcast page and leave a five-star review that says something like, The Sully Brothers are amazing and everyone should listen to this podcast. It's just a matter of time before Hollywood takes one of their ideas and makes it into the next blockbuster retake. Yes. Or, if you're not on Apple... I don't know how to leave it around, but you can figure it out. Please <laughs> Google do. it. Please figure it out. We need your reviews, and we're willing to bribe you with possibly a sticker from our limited sticker collection. Hmm. I dare say, what if I said this? What if I said, I have one Motu sticker left? Shh. Don't say that. And I would never give it away on trivia, but I will give it away for a review we used on the next episode oh, of the podcast. Wow. I'm opening the floodgates Who actually listens to this thing? We will find out soon
1: Loyal listeners who have been here since day one And are desperate for that MOTI sticker They've just opted out They've unsubscribed We're losing people <laughs> <laughs> Come back That's my goal I want us to just get to me and you Subscribe <laughs> to this podcast That's alright I still listen Who cares? Uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, you have to edit <laughs> That's right I,
1: I listen to every one of our podcasts About 20 times And they never get old uh yeah. So for Firestar, do we have some big questions today? We do. Uh, we'll answer these in
0: the in the rest of this podcast. I love this part because I haven't read them yet. What did What did brother prepare for us? Which actress loved to be hated? What director got canned because of the critics? And why did Drew get spanked on set? Mm-mm-mm. That that one. Uh, luckily, we know that during the filming of this, she was a child. So this was. This was because she probably acted up. I'm guessing. I I hope. We'll find out in a little bit. Yeah,
1: but even that concept is dated. Nobody spanks their kids anymore like you're not supposed to, right?
0: Uh, not that I know of. I mean, I don't have any of my own, so I don't know what's what's uh, what's accepted these days. Uh,
1: nobody's above a good whooping. Uh, but, yeah, you're not supposed to do that to kids anymore. Now we're just supposed to talk to them like adults and reason with them. Boo. That's going to end well. <laughs> I don't know. seems to be going all right. (laughs) We'll see if it backfires. Um, Well, so we have a really good episode today. We're going to talk about Firestarter, a little bit about Firestarter 2, if anybody is even aware that exists. Um, And then we're going to do some pitches for our own original ideas of a Firestarter reboot, retake sort of thing, uh, and do a little trivia at the end on uh, those existing movies. Uh, but first what you watching
0: Right as you go to say what you watching your your audio went all crazy and it was like what you watch what watch That's watch, watch, how I
1: do the intro what you watch
0: How did you do that Uh for me I I am constantly consuming content I'm either streaming I'm creating something digitally or I'm watching television. This is These are my favorite pastimes. Uh, recently, I just finished the series After Party, which is an Apple TV Plus series. If you liked Clue, the movie from the 80s, and you want a kind of a present day take on that, uh, it, After Party is a great series with a lot of names you'll recognize. Mm. Highly recommend it. It's, a, it's fun. It just ended the series this past week. Uh, a lot of fun. I'd like to see some other series like this. Star Trek Discovery. There should always be a Star Trek on television, and Discovery is killing it. We've also got Lower Decks, the cartoon, and there's a new one coming, a new spinoff from Discovery that starts in, I want to say, the next couple of months. I'm very excited about. 1883, one of the best things uh, to stream, because it's not technical on television. Uh, It's streaming Hmm. with uh, Sam Elliott, uh, Tim McGraw, Faith Hill. Just amazing. It's the prequel to Yellowstone. But if you haven't seen Yellowstone, doesn't matter. You can still appreciate this fully. It is a wonderful show. You should be watching it. Sadly, I heard it did not get picked up for a season two. Uh, I can't imagine why, other than people just don't know about it. So your homework is to go watch 1883, fall in love with it, and tell everybody you know, preferably within a few days of hearing
1: this. So you can help us get 1883 back. Send in those peanuts or whatever is appropriate for the 1883. Let's see.
0: What can we send in for that one? We'll we'll send in... um, Just to... Tumbleweeds,
1: I don't, I don't know what. Yeah, what. yeah. There's not
0: much in this. We could send in rattlesnakes. We'll send in rattlesnakes, send, maybe dead ones or, or stuffed ones. Mustaches, uh, and then Severance. Watching Severance, oh, yeah. the series, also on Apple TV Plus. Uh, where you've probably seen the trailer, and it's basically a, I think it's an experiment. Where people have something put in their brain that severs the connection between their work and personal life. So at work, they can't register. They can't remember anything from their personal life and vice versa. Very interesting. Like before you even watch it, you should think about what would that do to a person? And then and then watch the show cuz I did spend a bit of time thinking about it and the show goes to levels I didn't think about some of the consequences of something like that. It's really interesting. I'm only 4 episodes in. It's a week to week. So we probably have at least 3 or 4 more before it ends and I can't wait to see where it goes. And then I did finally watch Scream. Oh, great. The new Scream from 2021 technically no, 2022 technically, yeah, right? It just so. came out this year. Yeah. I uh, finally watched that, and I don't know if we should give a review yet or save that for one of our review episodes. Oh, yeah. And then I watched The Batman. Mm. The Batman. Well, we're I, we're not doing a Batman episode. Do you want to talk about <sighs> The Batman
1: after you do what you're watching? Honestly, I'm going to be like one of those people who, in high school, they took a trip to France, and now they bring it up in every conversation. That's me with the new Batman. Uh, I... Uh, I I did not want a new Batman. I was not looking forward to a new Batman. I was like, I don't need any sort of new take on this or a, a new person playing Batman. I was so wrong. It was an amazing film. I fell in love with it, and I'm thinking about going back and watching it again. And Wow. I I thought Chris Nolan's... You know Christian Bale's Batman when they did that. I'm like, this is a game changer. Like, this is really good. This is how you do the Batman. Uh, no, this is how you do the Batman. This is the Batman. Wow, you like it more than no. I do. I, I I didn't um, I didn't know. I guess I always kind of knew that this was the Batman that I wanted in the treatment and the styling and all that, but I just didn't really know how to put that into words because I've read a bunch of the uh, different. Yeah takes on batman like the frank miller stuff uh was my version of of batman and i i really like this this was just a, an amazing movie i there is you know there's a couple of little things that maybe could change or whatever but man i loved it i if we're doing a review i'd give it five stars because i'm gonna watch this a dozen times
0: i really enjoyed it as well I don't, i don't know that i would rank it five stars yet i need to see it again because i was I was surprised by what I saw. It was different than what I expected. And I really liked it. It was one of those immediately afterwards, having good conversations with... I went and saw it with Jungle Bry. And uh, really, it, a lot of, a lot came up. A lot to digest. It was three hours, and I didn't feel like it was three hours. Yeah. It felt like a good paced, yeah. length movie. And uh, yeah, I loved it. And I can't wait. Uh, you know, we, we did a little research. We've got a... There's a series coming focused on the detectives mm-hmm. in the episodes. That's going to be on HBO. There's apparently a Penguin either series or movie coming. Hmm. And then I feel like with the success of this, we're definitely going to get more of the Batman, the, the Batman 2, whatever, whatever they'll call it. And then uh, and then I feel like, and I talked about this on previous podcasts and, and lives, I feel like now, even though we get all these different Batman series, they are all tied by a multiverse. So whether or not this this Pattinson Batman ever actually appears alongside anybody else, may will he be in the Flash movie? There's a possibility. Um it's it's just another universe mm-hmm. where we get to see what Batman would have been. So we don't have to look at him as all reboots, mm-hmm. but just a different view of a different lens of a different world and what would Batman have been there.
1: Yeah. But I uh, I loved Yeah, that. I I loved it. I love that treatment of it that that styling of Batman um, Pattinson did a great job, but uh, just everything was everything was great. Uh, but this isn't the Batman episode. Uh, I guess I have some other stuff I've been watching. We watched um, uh, Ozark, uh, Mrs. Maisel, Mrs. Mm-hmm. Maisel, uh, Deadly Class, Pam and Tommy. Uh, finished up the MacGyver <laughs> series, uh, which I, I don't know. I, I really loved that series. It's like it's so stupid, but and crass, and uh, yeah, it's just awful cringy but it's it's great
0: you don't even realize you just did it but you called it the MacGyver series not the MacGruber series oh shit (laughs) I mean (laughs) no that's really funny it actually speaks to volumes to what that show is like it's it's a it's a funny take on the show that we grew up with. yeah
1: MacGruber is what I meant to say Uh, (laughs) But whatever it's all the same thing (laughs) I like this better than MacGyver I'll tell you that uh and we also watched a show called Abbott Elementary um which I think is brand new Uh, And it's pretty funny. It's like a bunch of grade school teachers and just one of those kind of, you know, talk to the camera sort of Um, interview style shows or whatever. But that's pretty funny. Uh, Yeah. And then we saw the Batman and that was great. Um, All right. Before we get into the, I don't don't know, I was trying to think of some cool fire metaphor. (laughs) I failed. Yeah. Uh, Burned down all around me. We do have a behind the scenes segment. And this one I entitled The House That Horror Built. <music> Bloom House Productions is now a household name known for its variety of low-budget, high-profit horror franchises including The Purge, Insidious, and Paranormal Activity. The first Paranormal Activity was made for $15,000 and grossed over $193 million dollars. Wow! <laughs> Insidious grossed 99 million on a 1.5 million dollar budget. That successful model allowed Bloomhouse to significantly and rapidly expand their efforts. In just over 20 years, Bloomhouse has produced over 100 films, 30 television shows, 13 documentaries, 11 books, eight podcasts, a comic, a TV show. And the Bloom House of Horrors, an interactive haunted house in downtown LA. Their projects seem endless, as do some of their franchises. Paranormal Activity 7 was released just last year. (laughs) Despite having original contributions to the world of horror, they have also heavily leaned into continuations and reboots of older horror staples. Halloween, The Town That Dreaded Sundown, Amityville, and Black Christmas have received the Bloom treatment with... The success of The Invisible Man, Blumhouse, is set to continue the classic monster runs with retakes for both Wolfman and Dracula. Beginning with the upcoming Firestarter, they are setting their sights on reinvigorating film adaptations of Stephen King projects also. Christine is next in the lineup, then Mr. Harrigan's Phone, a novella from If It Bleeds, and a limited series for the novel title Later. Blumhouse has made their intentions clear. Horror is their genre, and they will continue to expand their land titles with original and retake dominance. But Blumhouse is also a house with many rooms. They produced Whiplash in 2014 and Black Klansman in 2018, both nominated by the Academy for Best Picture and Best Adapted Screenplay. I suspect that as they forge ahead into new properties, Bloomhouse will become more than a household name. They will be rubbing elbows with Warner Brothers and Walt Disney and boasting frighteningly bigger profit margins.
0: Very interesting. Yeah. They are right, though. Horror is huge. It is. I mean, those numbers you just spouted at us, but like coming from working at Funko in the collectibles uh, industry, Horror is year-round a top seller. Anything Freddy Krueger, Jason Voorhees, Chucky, all that just is through the roof these days
1: and only seems to be gaining momentum. It's it's huge. People love it. And you're right. It is a year-round yeah. thing. It's not just like Halloween time or anything like that anymore. It's we get a new horror film like every month, it seems. You know? It's... Uh, yeah, and, and you know, I think part of the success of that has been over the last
0: decade... We've gotten a lot of these reboots. I know Paranormal Activity, although I wish that movie would burn in hell because it scared the (laughs) crap out of me, um, was, was, you know, successful. But, like, the con circuit the con circuit has allowed a lot of these actors who, who either like, especially the guys who were behind masks to come out and be seen and to meet their fan base, which it reinvigorates those franchises. Like just in December, I was at Emerald city comic-con and I got to meet the, uh, the voice actor Mm -hmm. who did the voice on the phone for scream. And I was at the booth and he talked to me in the voice and I got his autograph. It was a really cool experience. And what did I want to do? I wanted to go home and watch all the scream movies right afterwards and I think stuff like that is really helping fans to become closer to their fandom, and horror is its own genre with people that are so passionate about the films they love. Yeah, and I
1: you know, obviously this whole podcast is around these retakes and stuff, and and I, I think we'll get into this a little bit with talking about Firestarter, but if there's any uh sort of umbrella of horror that deserves and needs these retakes it's a lot of the stephen king stuff like all those movies that were made were not all that great and everybody knows that and it's it's only now where we're finally getting some uh a little bit more budget for it and uh you know respect for the material and stuff um so i I think that's a good thing that they're moving forward and supporting those I think uh, yeah for sure. And 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 honestly the, the the part of the reason I wrote that behind the scenes thing is because I wasn't sure my opinion of Bloomhouse like I was kind of dismissive like when the, when it I know it's a Bloomhouse production and I'm like like the upcoming Firestarter I'm like I'm not sure if that's going to be any good because they their spectrum is so wide and there's bad yeah. Bloomhouse films and there's really good stuff too. I mean Whiplash is like one of my favorite movies ever. Like that's a, Great a solid film. But I enjoy the horror stuff they put out too Not all of it, but some of it's, it's pretty solid um, So yeah, I, I think it's interesting And, and definitely even if uh, their model is just huge profit margins They're still putting out solid content too Alright, let's segue over into some fire starting
0: I got some tall apologizing to do There's a line of cars coming up the road I'll stand with you if you want I'll get my deer gun
1: You don't need your gun Firestarter, a couple who participated in a potent medical experiment, <laughs> gained telepathic ability, and then have a child who is pyrokinetic. Whew, that is a bad synopsis. Boo on you. Mm-hmm. Who wrote that? Probably the same guy that wrote the script. uh Actors in this are David Keith, Drew Barrymore, Freddie Jones, a little bitty Drew, Freddie Jones, Heather Locklear, ooh, Martin Sheen, George C. Scott, Art Carney, Moses Gunn, Louise Fletcher. And that's this episode's Actor Spotlight. Fletcher is well known for her recurring role as Kai Wen Adami on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. She's been nominated for Emmys for her appearance on Picket Fences and Joan of Arcadia, but she's best known for her role as Nurse Ratched in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. For that role, she won an Academy Award, a BAFTA, and a Golden Globe, and established herself as the go-to female villain. She played the bloodthirsty vampire Mama Dracula, the vile grandmother from Flowers in the Attic, and the alien teacher Mrs. McKelch. Is that right? Yeah, McKelch in Invaders from Mars. And I always remember her that way. Oh, like, I know yes. Nurse Ratchet in that movie, but, like, growing up, I saw, I think Invaders from Mars was one of those that looped in one of those, HBO or Showtime. I remember seeing that a bunch, yeah. but she scared me. She was scared like um though she'd played a variety of roles across her 137 acting credits she's an actor we just love to hate in her best actress oscar speech for playing nurse ratchet she said it looks like you all hated me so much that you've given me this award for it and all i can say (laughs) is i've loved being hated by you
0: oh that's awesome it was
1: awesome she just embraced it she did you should look up uh her oscar speech there because it's actually pretty nice she um apparently grew up Uh, with uh, a deaf mother and father, and um, she uh, had to learn speaking through, like, an aunt or something because they didn't talk. They just signed. Um, But she, in part of her speech there, she thanks with sign language her her parents and stuff, and it's kind of touching. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it is, isn't it? She seems like a nice lady. Um, And the director on this, Mark L. Lester, who also did Class of 1984, Commando... You had me at Commando. Oh, Armed and Dangerous, yes. and Showdown in Little Tokyo. I remember all those. Hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, the writers on this, Stephen King's credited uh, just for having done the novel, uh, but also Stanley Mann did the, the main script here, and he's done Breaking Point, Omen 2, Damien, Meteor, and Conan the Destroyer. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> how, how many lines are in Conan the Destroyer? I don't think there's that many uh not many yeah Yeah. i think it's all ad-libbed anyway smash uh oh my god i like those movies Uh, this came out in 1984 uh also that year the big uh chart toppers were indiana jones and the temple of doom ghostbusters beverly hills cop uh and we covered uh this also in our dune and gremlins episode so a lot happened in 1984 and apparently It's honestly surprising watching
0: the movie again. I'm not going to give a review yet, but it didn't feel like those other movies. Like it felt like it had been made earlier. If Firestarter feels like it was made in like
1: 1978, yeah, that's part of the budget, and or at least yeah, I, well, not the budget necessarily, because you're going to hear uh, it was uh, it made 15 million on a 12 million dollar budget. That does not look like a 12 million dollar movie to me.
0: No, that's a lot of money back then. That's like a that's like a hundred million dollar movie now.
1: Yeah, that's I don't know where all that went because they're some of the trivia too is talking about cutting corners everywhere. So I, I think somebody just took a huge paycheck. Yeah, <laughs> and they're uh-huh. like, yeah, yeah, whatever. It's a movie, uh, and that's pretty much the review of this thing. Thirty-seven uh, percent on Rotten Tomatoes. It's a movie. Uh, huh. Yeah, let's talk about it because I, I don't right. think we're going to talk too much on Firestarter Two. There's not much to I say. I mean,
0: honestly, <laughs> I it was a tough watch. It was a tough mm. watch. It's uh it's a dated film for sure. It did have that feel for me that had been made years before. It didn't it definitely was not on par with Ghostbusters. I don't remember what the budget for that was, but probably significantly more. Yeah. Uh did not feel like that. It felt like something that was older, but it was a good story. I thought the story was pretty strong. Um, just the idea, maybe not the story, but the idea that a young girl has these abilities. I There were parts I just straight up laughed at. Yeah. Uh, when she's shooting those fireballs at the end and you can like see them on a string running across the yeah. courtyard. And I was like, that's both awesome and sad. Yeah. <laughs> but I, but Drew did a great job. I think they're going to kill you, Daddy. We have to run, we have to hide, we have Yes, yes. That's what they want to do. They want to kill you, kill you like they did mommy, and take me away. I won't let it happen. I won't. Oh, Jesus Christ! Did she do that? Uh, even though there were times where you're like, okay, you can tell this was a this was a, a big role for a little girl of that age. How old was she when they made this? Like eight,
1: ten, maybe ten. Yeah,
0: right. I uh, and I struggled with this when I was doing my casting for my pitch. We'll talk about that in yep. a bit is like how do you that's a lot to put on a girl of that age a young lady of that age she'd only been on screen for like 10 minutes in et total maybe 15 and she just had to look cute for most of those parts so this was a lot but i think she did a great job i think the, uh, the heather locklear was the real sad sack in this one like her acting in it was pathetic <laughs> <laughs> she got so good by the time the nineties and nineties came around, like late eighties and nineties came around. Yeah. But what was happening here? Did she just get the script that morning?
1: I honestly, I I feel like um, I don't know that the casting was wrong for this. I I feel like it's a failure of direction. Like that's got to be part, it. part of directing is is directing actors, like getting specific performances out of them and stuff. And I I just don't think the director cared at all because Drew. She's a little kid and she was already in E.T. and I think a couple other things. And, and I remember her acting being way better in those, in my opinion. Like, I, I feel like agreed. she's a good actress. She just, like a lot of actors, need the right coaxing and, you know, uh, uh, treatment from, from the director. And I just, the, this guy, what was his name? Uh, Robert, or, sorry. Let me scroll. Mark L. Lester. I just don't, I don't feel like he did anything for anybody. And that's a real shame. If
0: you, if you shorten Mark, the first two letters are M a and his last name is Lester. Oh my gosh.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's hope none of that was going on. Um, Oh my God. (laughs) Jeez. Wow. Uh, (laughs)
0: Yeah, but I just saw it in my head. I'm like, oh, that's not good. His parents are did not know what they were doing.
1: Yeah, but th- this this suffered a lot. Like it, it's hard. This to me is one of those movies that we were just talking about. It, it basically solidified these cheap filmmaking for the King adaptations. You know, it's it's like this is one of those. The reason people think of all the Stephen King movies as just crap. Uh, this is one of them. Uh, it's 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 a poor translation. I had some other ones I listed here because I was trying to think of them all. Cell, uh, thinner, The Dark Tower, Maximum Overdrive. You know they're all uh, entertaining in their own way, but they're not good movies. Um, and it's so rare when they get it right. But there are some good ones. Uh, Stand by Me is excellent. Misery is amazing. Oh, yeah. uh, the Shining that Cemetery. Uh, there's some really solid Stephen King movies out there and we're going to get some more hopefully from from Blue Mouse and maybe this uh new treatment here for the upcoming Firestarter will will improve upon this. I I can it can only be better. Um I, yeah, the it's also hard to I don't think in a lot of cases Stephen King books can just be directly transported over into a movie. Like a lot of things work on paper where they would not work as Well, sure. um, On film. And I think this is the case for that. I think they should have spent more time reworking the material and stuff. Because this is pretty loyal to the book, if I remember correctly. Because I read the book. um, And it was a good book, but I just don't think it should be the movie as as it is in the book. Uh, What else? Oh, George C. Scott as John Rainbird. Oh, boy. He's supposed to be Cherokee. You are mad. All <laughs> right, you are. <laughs> so are you, mad as a header. You sit here making plans for controlling a force that's beyond your comprehension. A force that belongs only to the gods themselves. What the hell are you talking about? Things I'm sure you wouldn't want the world to know. Uh, George C. Scott is not Cherokee, as far as I know. Uh, he certainly does not look the part. Like I, I, I see, I I
0: thought he did a little, but maybe it's because he grew his hair. That's out. it.
1: They put it. They and put a ponytail on him, and they made him wear one of those like long <laughs> coats that had all the you know indigenous sort of symbols all along. And I'm like, that's yeah. how you make him uh, Indian. Come on. Uh, so I, I, (laughs) the name
0: I was joking about it before the stream, Rainbird's the name of that sprinkler system company. And I (laughs) did they, was that already around when they named him, or did they name the company based on his character in Firestarter?
1: I don't know, but that, that was a bit embarrassing. These are the things that you did in the 80s, and nobody blinked an eye, really. I'm sure they did. We just didn't hear about it as much. Um, but now you can't do that sort of stuff. Uh, and in the upcoming Firestarter, they've actually. Uh, hired a, a indigenous person to uh, be, although they're not Cherokee either, from what I read. So, how how much you need to get those exact closer, matches but up. still not great. Yeah, but I, you know, I what I was thinking about in in this the whole time. What I think this movie was probably way better then, uh, but oh, absolutely. But now we've been exposed, especially like uh, I keep thinking of the X Men the whole time, uh, where it's all these people with random powers figuring things out and like the. People are after them and stuff like that. Um, yeah, that's that's what I think about during this, and it's it's a hard thing to do an updated version of this and not just be a X Men knockoff. Like, which direction you take this? Can it be a <laughs> you know if if it's a drama or whatever? But or is it complete horror? Like, that's a real hard thing to do. You have to choose which direction you're gonna gonna go. Um, last note I had was. As bad as her acting was, I wish we had way more Heather Locklear in the movie. <laughs> like, they didn't preach. Yep. They didn't put enough of her. What a lovely woman. Uh, but yeah, my overall uh, rating on this, I gave it uh, one and a half stars.
0: Yeah, that's fair. I, uh, yeah, I I go one, one, one star. Just one. <laughs> okay. I don't think I'll ever watch this again in my life.
1: Yeah. No, I, I definitely won't. And I, I yeah, so yeah. With, with that, uh, if you, if you know enough about well, I think you can glean. There's we have a, a five star rating system here, so um not at recommendation level from from the Sully Brothers.
0: Man, thank god for somebody listening for the first time, they're like, was this
1: out of ten? It doesn't really matter. It's still the low end. Uh so yeah, nobody bother uh going out and watching Firestarter. And speaking of not watching Firestarter, Firestarter two rekindled.
0: <laughs> I can't could say oh boy! Rekindled, <laughs> rekindled. It is not oh, rekindled. God.
1: Uh, this is a flame <laughs> that you should have let go out. A young woman who has the ability to start fires with her mind must now face the trauma of her childhood by battling with a group of very talented children and their cruel leader, John Rainbird. Can you believe it? He survived. Oh, no. God. Oh boy. Marguerite Moreau, Malcolm McDowell, Dennis Hopper. That's how you know it's good. Danny Nucci, Sky <laughs> Bartusiak, John Dennis, Johnston, Darnell Williams, Ron Perkins, Deborah Van Valkenburgh. This is directed by Robert Iscove, who did lots of T V movies, and the contractually obligated American Idol movie, uh, from just from Justin DeKelly. Uh and also Boys and Girls and She's All That, which I think... Oh, I like She's All Yeah, is. I think people like that one, uh, but the rest of his projects were not, you know, that great. Uh, written by Philip Eisner, who also wrote Event Horizon, which I really like, uh, Mutant Chronicles, which I'm not sure what that is, and Sweet Girl. Don't know that one. This came out in 2002, so this was significantly later uh, than the original. Right And... Uh, did it? It was a two-part sci-fi channel mini-series, so there's no box office, um, winnings here, but uh, or box office take. But it was a ten million dollar budget. What? Almost the same budget as the original movie. Yeah, but you can't <laughs> honestly. You talk about how bad the effects are, and um, in the original, I, this is worse. It's just I. So I got it. Found a copy of this. I tried really hard to to watch <laughs> it is immediately off putting like the 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 effects and the opening is so bad like the acting so bad and everything like the the, op- the opening credits and they do like this long you know they used to do like the opening credits were really lengthy uh, yeah that doesn't work a lot of the time people don't have the patience for this stuff and it's just filler it is it's filler like why are you spending time doing this um but it was annoying to sit through because you're already like, I don't like what I've seen so far. And then you're like 10 minutes of just reading people's names. You're like, that's enough of an excuse to turn this off. Uh, But I (laughs) I pushed through for a little bit. I think I got like 40 minutes in and then I'm like, okay, I think I know enough. I don't, I'm not going to continue watching. So uh, that's going to be, I think a half star for me. Uh, But the, the, the rotten tomatoes is 39%. No, yeah, it's more. It's more than the original, and I, maybe, <laughs> maybe the second half is spectacular. I, I, I doubt it. Uh, I'm never gonna find out. But um, yeah, uh,
0: the review is the review on the poster says 42 minutes in, this one really takes <laughs> off, and you missed the whole.
1: Yeah, you just have to get <laughs> through that first two and a half hours. It's that last 10 minutes <laughs> that really brings it it's on home. Worth it. Oh, boy. Yeah, so, no, nah, I didn't bother. I, I just don't, I don't know. Yeah, sci-fi, that's that's another thing. You've got those Stephen King movies that you know are going to be bad, like they're this B-level, and then you have sci-fi movies. It's the same thing. Oh. And they got better, but they had a long c- series of, of time where they just made really bad, low-budget stuff yeah hey people watch it yeah whatever uh but we're i don't think we're gonna recommend that so yeah there's not a lot of commentary i have on that because uh, i couldn't even get through the whole thing but uh before we move on to our pitches you've got a keyword i do Do you In folks recall what we this have means a need for this.
0: <laughs> In case I have a need for this at some point, we do giveaways from time to time. We've got another one I just need to get launched. And we may ask you for some keywords. And this is one of them. From the episode, Firestarter, your keyword is rainbird. One more time. Your keyword is rainbird. And if you fast-forwarded to find this and didn't listen to the rest of the podcast, shame on you. Mm. This, Go back to the beginning and listen.
1: How dare you. This is no Firestarter. This is quality material here. You listen to the whole thing. <laughs> all right We've, all right, so what, what uh, one of the things we do here on this podcast, uh the most original part of this, uh which is very, very fun and um, uh, just brings us to a different level in my opinion, uh, which is always right, of course, that uh, we we'd write our own original pitches for uh concepts for these same movies, so they're getting a reboot anyway, a retake of some sort, and we're like, well, let's join in the fun so we we write a pitch. For what we would like to see for this next Firestarter to be. And we uh, we choose a director and we uh, cast the thing. Um, So we're going to read those to you now. I think you... I don't know. I never remember. I want to remember. (laughs) I never
0: remember either. I do and I can't... (laughs)
1: And you do the editing.
0: Who went first for Willy Wonka?
1: I'll, I'll I'll go. Go okay. yes all
0: right. Woof. <laughs> you know we're excited about our pictures, we- <laughs> when we don't want to go first. <laughs> but I just need to- no this, this before brother goes. This really is the part that sets our podcast apart from the others. You, you're like, why would people be doing a, a podcast on a movie they clearly didn't like? And that's because the the tagline or the phrase "Hollywood is out of ideas," which is total BS is is thrown around way too often so we thought we'd come up with our own ideas and uh, brother is a writer with with several credits under his belt several books coming several published stories and I just try to keep up uh, I think of myself as a creative and this is fun this is a great way to watch a movie because you watch it with a whole new uh, lens you're watching it and going how can I what can I do with this information to make a sequel or do I need to scrap it and start over? How would I cast it? Who would I pick as a director? So that's what we do. And if you're from Hollywood and you're listening for some ideas, uh, feel free to use this, but be sure to reach out to us. Give us writing credits in and, and a bag full of money.
1: Yeah. That's gonna, all we're asking. We're, it's not a lot. And I'm keeping the bag. Uh, yeah. I'll keep the money. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it might be a nice bag. I don't know. <laughs> all right. Speaking of unoriginal ideas, here's my pitch. It's called oh, Firestarter. Boy, <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Don't get thrown. Um, casting on this, she might already be too old, but I'm choosing McKenna Grace from Ghostbusters Afterlife. Did you choose her too?
0: I, no, no, I didn't, but I, but it was one yeah, of my top
1: choices. Okay, she's going to play Charlie. Yep. Uh, Nassim Pedrad uh, for Dr. Smith, who's a character I invented, and Giovanni Rabisi as Andrew. I haven't seen Giovanni in a long time. I, I'm sure he's on. I like something. him in everything. Actually, no, he does yes. have a show. Or he did have a show, didn't he? Um, what was it called? Like Sneaky Pete, was that him? Uh Yeah, yeah, they ended that after like three or four seasons. Oh, well, it's okay. He got some. Uh I like him in everything. I, I do too. I like that kid. And or he's not a kid anymore. <laughs> um but <laughs> no. uh but yeah, I'd like to see him. So uh, I feel good about that casting. Uh direction here. Tom Ford. And I can't remember if I've used him before. I don't think so. He directed Nocturnal Animals. Which is a great movie, but it is a hard watch. Um, there's some stuff that happens in there that's pretty intense, if, especially if you're a family. Uh, you've got a family. It's, it's tough. But it, a great movie, great direction. I'm, I'm looking forward to more stuff from that guy. Okay, here we are on the pitch. We open on the exterior of an apartment complex in the 80s. A woman screams from inside, panicked, then shrill, then nothing. A man yells, Charlie, and we see smoke billowing from an upstairs window shortly after a man exits the building with a young girl in his hands. They're both blackened by smoke. The camera follows him as he takes the girl away from the building. He keeps repeating, what have you done? Other voices are shouting from inside, and after the man sets the girl down, he says to stay put, that he's going back in to help the others. The camera stays on the little girl as people gather around and the fire department pulls in behind the crowd. She is remorseless and vacant. The roaring fire reflects in her eyes, and we know she is the cause of the disaster. She is the fire starter. Big title on screen. It's a, it's like your little animation when you you, you start the fires. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's what it is. That's the opening credits as you throw in flames. All right, five years later. Charlie is 12 and recently returned to a group home. The children whisper how the last two foster families Charlie was with reported mysterious fires and kicked the young girl out of their homes. Charlie hears them and gets into a brawl. A bush outside the window catches fire during the fight. The group home staff put out the fire and isolate Charlie. Dr. Smith visits the girl to let her know her case has been handed off to a specialist. Charlie is angered again, but Smith insists she wants to see the girl get help, and she won't let her go through any more of this alone. We learn that Charlie's mother was burned to death five years before, and her father died from smoke inhalation. Smith is also curious what Charlie remembers about the fires that seem to follow her, but seems afraid to push the issue. Nobody knows her abilities or anything. Uh, they just figure she's a bit of a pyro, you know, sets fire. When the specialist <laughs> arrives to question Charlie, Smith is struck by the very serious nature of visitors and the oddity of their questions. They seem more like police than childcare specialists, but they offer to take Charlie someplace that can handle her special needs. Before Smith can discover any more detail, the specialists sedate Charlie and take her away. Charlie awakens in a private room but discovers she is free to roam her new accommodations. She and several other kids are on what appears to be a small college campus with green space and dorms and classrooms. This is the X-Men. <laughs> The staff is courteous (laughs) and welcoming, and the head of the facility tells Charlie they believe she is unique and deserves to be treated as such. Charlie, having grown up in the system, however, is suspicious and questions the other students. Their stories are similar, abandoned, orphaned, or plucked from juvenile prison, all told they are unique as well. They say the school is fine, but one of the boys says they take the kids away sometimes late at night, but no one that gets taken remembers anything. As Charlie begins her own investigation of the school, Dr. Smith has reached a dead end with her child care specialist contact, the one who came to visit Charlie at the group home. Smith looks into Charlie's past to discover that her father may not be dead after all, and she sets out to find him. Charlie stays up to witness a young boy being escorted away by staff late at night. She follows him to a warehouse-like structure on the edge of the campus and sneaks in to see the boy inside a large, empty room. On the other side of a glass wall, lab coat-clad staff observe the kid as snakes are released. Not snakes! The boy is terrified, but a voice over a speaker tells him not to run. He has to confront the snakes. The boy ignores the instructions, but as he bangs on the door to be let out, the air around the boy begins to form crystals. He's soon encased in a crystalline orb that snakes can't penetrate he's got powers the next day charlie finds the boy and asks him what it was all about and he looks at her as if she's insane he doesn't remember a thing smith meanwhile has followed a trail from the hospital that treated charlie's father years earlier for smoke inhalation to a series of homeless shelters and then a prison she goes to visit him and ask why he abandoned charlie and what really happened with that fire andrew isn't cooperative but when she tells him charlie has been taken by some mysterious government group and she's worried he is clearly upset that night charlie is the one taken off by staff she doesn't resist and in fact happy to follow along it's clear that the man leading her there has some hold over her making her compliant when she enters the large open room she screams no snakes please the staff is baffled by her knowledge and the man who led her in says she is unusual for sure they continue with the experiment and when snakes are released into the room charlie runs for the door just like the boy nothing shields her from their attack however and she gets bitten She screams and turns in anger. The snakes catch fire and turn to ash. The paint on the walls melts off and the glass dividing the staff and room warps from the heat. The staff panics and the man with the mental powers commands Charlie to stop. He tells her to forget what has happened and return to her room. He tells the others there's more to this one than her abilities. Someone has already been inside the girl's head. Andrew is lying awake in his jail cell, and we see a flashback to the opening scene. He crawls to Charlie, standing outside the apartment, and tells her to forget her abilities, that the fires aren't her fault, and she's just a normal girl. She'll be safe if she doesn't know what she's capable of. When we come back to him, Andrew uses his mental abilities to convince a guard to let him out of jail and escort him to freedom. It's just that easy. Can I get out? Moving ahead, Andrew connects with Dr. Smith to track down Charlie. Charlie has nightmares of fire and her mother screaming, She, along with the other students, look into what's happening at the school and discover they each have some ability and the people are trying to exploit in some way through their experiments. Andrew and Smith sneak into the school and find information that the uh, government-run facility is trying to weaponize the children. Andrew uses his mind control to find Charlie and they reunite. He clears her mind so she can remember the truth and when security swarms, they and the children use their powers to fight their way out. When Andrew is killed, Charlie gets goes on a rampage and burns everyone in her path. Charlie and Dr. Smith lead the surviving kids away. A voiceover from Charlie lets us know they make a new home far away from society, someplace they can be themselves, someplace where the fires can't spread. So I did kind of an um, X-Men Logan sort of thing there. Yeah. And uh-huh. and had I made it to the second half of... uh. R- R- Fire started to rekindled. <laughs> Fire started uh, the the synopsis did mention other kid people having abilities and stuff, so maybe they're they started. There's something
0: they started coming in at the 42 minute That's mark
1: That's right. <laughs> right then, it got really <laughs> first introduced. Really good.
0: 42 and a half minutes in. um
1: <laughs>
0: Yes. Yeah. You 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 called this out before about the whole X Men situation, and you headed towards it. And you'll see in a minute. I I pull a bit of that in myself. You're right. It is. I didn't even think about it, but. How do you make this a horror film and not a s- superhero right. that hasn't come into their own film? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Cuz now we think about Very interesting. we think about all these powers and stuff and we immediately think superheroes. We don't think of just Yeah. people with actual, you know, abilities and stuff.
0: But comic book movies had not become a thing yeah. in 1984. Not. What was the first we had we had Batman, but he didn't have special abilities. So we had the series
1: in, in the '60s. I think we had a Superman. When did uh, yeah, Superman had already come out.
0: First Superman was out. That's right. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there was that. Yeah, but that was that was one interesting. Yeah, you're right. Any other thoughts on yours before I do
1: mine? Um, honestly, I don't know. I like it's okay. <laughs> I just don't know if it's like I, I'm talking about translating to film. Like I don't know how much of this is. Um, would really sustain audience interest the whole time. So I'm probably missing a few good like action sequences or something because there's a lot of more mystery. Well, you f- can't put everything I, down I in know, a but synopsis. It is tough. Like yeah. this is kind of a tough one to write. That's- the one thing I didn't want to interrupt you when you started, but I
0: wanted to know when this was set. Uh, it it says we open on the exterior of an apartment complex in the 80s. Does right there. Okay.
1: Yeah, and then it's five years I, I, later. So probably yeah. still 80s early 90s yeah. i didn't know
0: if you were uh, at first i was like wait a minute because i missed the 80s part i was looking to read along ironically and missed that part <laughs> i didn't know if you uh were gonna set us up for uh oh wait that's not the charlie you think it oh, is yeah. and then and then get us with something later no yeah i, I like <laughs> that you stayed time. in the 80s that's, that's smart a lot uh, of people are doing 80s based stuff now it's it's a good vibe, man. And you know, you don't have to deal, we've talked about this before, you don't have to deal with the technology yeah. aspect of things, uh, the internet, cell phones, all the things that makes the world so much smaller. Mm-hmm. You're looking at a very small part of the world that won't get out to everyone else. And I think it's easier to tell a story that yeah. way. All right. Uh, on to my pitch, which I ironically also called Firestarter. No way. I didn't rekindle anything, just Firestarter. <laughs> this um, fire was always. Directed burning. by I've chosen Paul McQuegan, who directed Push. I don't know much about his his other films, but the movie Push with uh with Chris Evans, where he has the abilities. I can't remember if I saw that. It's decent. Yeah. I liked it. Uh, and I and I wanted to see more But that movie didn't do well at the box okay. office I don't think And we never got any sequels or anything Or any other from that universe Who knows if that might get pulled into DC Or, or Marvel It would be ironic if it got pulled into Marvel down the road And then <laughs> Evans had three characters that would be in the MCU Yeah right Um, Other stars in the film I've chosen And you probably don't know who this is Unless you've watched Young Sheldon I had the hardest time And also felt like a bit of a weirdo old man Googling uh, talented young actresses. Yeah. And I was like, I hope no one's looking at this and thinking something weird. Uh, I chose Reagan Reverd, who plays the younger sister on Young Sheldon. She's comedy gold. Yep. She's so funny, but I think she's of the age. And if you can do comedy, you can do drama. Sure. We've seen that time and time again. So I think she'd be good at, at straddling the line here and doing some of the drama. She's going to play Vicky Jones. And then Chase Crawford from The Boys as her father, Barry Jones, and Felicity Jones, I just realized what I did there, from Rogue One as her mother, Veronica Jones. The names don't matter all that much other than Vicky. Setting is current, and here we go. Also, I got wordy on this one. Sorry, oh, I'll try to get it. Great. Uh great. We open on young Vicki Jones as she gets ready for her first day of school. She's headed into the... Uh, seventh grade at her local intermediate school. She's on the phone with a friend trying to figure out what to wear. Eventually they figure it out and she gets dressed and heads downstairs for breakfast. She's met by her parents who insist on a first day of school photo and reluctantly gives in. So they'll quit pestering her mom and dad are off to work. And so she gathers her things and heads off to the bus stop along the way. She runs into some older girls. She doesn't recognize as she walks past one of them shoulder checks her and knocks her to the ground. The girl is much larger than Vicky and clearly just wants to start something. Vicki pulls herself off off the ground, collects her bag and phone, just in time to get on the bus. The larger girl and her friends make a couple of rude comments about her outfit and her hair as she steps up on the bus. She hesitates for a second, but decides it isn't worth it and climbs up the remaining stairs. Everything at school is pretty normal. Vicky catches up with her friends in the hallway and asks about the start of their day, what teachers they got, the clothes their parents wouldn't buy them for school, etc. We see her day progressively improve as she becomes more comfortable with her classes and surroundings. At lunchtime, she catches up with a few friends who wave her over to their table. She's a few bites into her sandwich when her new bully friend shows up and pushes her face into her food, angering Vicky, but she really can't do anything. She's too small, too weak, so she goes back to her meal embarrassed and beyond pissed off. Interactions like this occur for weeks, each pushing Vicky just a little further towards the edge. Each time, Vicky talks herself out of a retaliation, but each time it takes a little more control to not lose her shit. One day, she's sitting in class when she begins to feel funny and asks to go to the bathroom. She sits down on the toilet, and that's when the moment she's dreaded for years happens, her first period. She cleans up and exits the stall, hoping that she is lucky enough to run into someone with the proper ladies' products to make the situation a little less awkward. Unfortunately, she runs into the bully. The bully messes with her more and then notices the blood splotch. She makes fun of Vicky and calls attention to it. In a fit of anger, Vicky screams back at the bully, leave me alone. And at that exact moment, the bully's foot bursts into flames and she's forced to run into one of the stalls and dunk her foot in the toilet to put it out, (laughs) which was probably the best part of Firestarter when that guy runs in and jumps both feet into the toilet. So I had to call that back. Vicky uses that as an opportunity to flee. She has no idea what happened or where the fire came from, but she could help fight the feeling that she had somehow caused it. She felt so weird during the outburst against the bully, different than she ever had before, filled with rage. Several weeks go by without Vicky running into the bully again, but her luck runs out when she takes a different path between classes one day and gets spotted in the hall. The bully tracks her down and threatens her again. Vicky feels the rage begin to swell inside her, and she's just about to scream again when their phone rings. She thought she had silenced it, and they aren't supposed to have their phones on during school hours. So her anger turns to panic as she attempts to locate and silence her phone. Without looking in her backpack, she searches around inside and her hand lands on the side button to cancel the call, just as a teacher walks up. There's some weird looks between the bully, Vicky, and the teacher, and then they all just kind of nod at one another and go their separate ways. Later that day, as Vicky is leaving school and heading for the bus, her phone rings again and she notices it is the same number that had called her during the interaction with the bully earlier that day. She's, she answers it, and there's a strange voice on the other. Vicky, have they found you yet? Vicki replies, who is this? Who are they? It's about that time that a black SUV pulls up and several men in suits jump out. They approach Vicki, and as one of the men reaches out to grab Vicky, she falls down on the ground, screaming in pain. Or no, I'm sorry, he falls down on the ground, screaming in pain. The same happens to two other men as they approach. The remaining men jump back in the SUV and take off. The men on the ground bleed out from their eyes and ears and then just quit moving. Vicky has no idea what's happening and begins to freak out. She decides to skip the bus and runs home. She runs out of steam about halfway there and slows down. She had felt her phone vibrate a few times, so she checks to see what the notifications are. There were texts from several of her friends, and the top one reads, "Have you seen this?" with a video attached, showing the events from the bathroom with the bully earlier. Mm. Apparently, another student had recorded the shit and shared it online with the title "Fire Started Out of Thin Air." Mm. Vicki's name isn't mentioned, but her face is clearly shown. Vicky rounds the corner to the street where she lives and notices that there are several more black SUVs and men in suits coming in and out of her house. She ducks into some bushes and watches as the men walk in and out with equipment. They're taking some sort of readings. She tries to call her parents, but they don't answer. Her phone rings again from the same weird number from before. She hits end and exits the bush to run away from her home. She has no idea where she's going, but she knows she doesn't want to head to anywhere near the men in suits. As Vicky rounds the corner to leave her neighborhood, she spots a woman walking toward her. The woman makes eye contact and says, Vicky? Startled but somehow not frightened, Vicky cautiously says, yes? It's then that we get a look at the woman's face and see that it is Drew Barrymore playing a grown-up Charlie. Vicky, I don't want to alarm you. You're in real trouble and I'm here to help you. Those men want to take you away and I may be the only person that can keep that from happening. I hope this day would never come, but I'm, well, I'm your mother. As she holds out her hand to take, in a take my hand kind of way. Mm -hmm. I botched the wording on that. Vicky flashes back to the day her parents sat her down to explain to her that she was adopted and that her birth mother had died shortly after she was born. As she's playing that out that day back in her head, the woman says, I'm sure you may not believe me, but I can prove it. You started a fire at school. You didn't know how, but you started it when your emotions flared up. Vicky's surprised that the woman knows about the fire, but there's that video on the internet she had just seen. As Vicky is about uh, about to tell the lady to leave her alone, the woman holds out her hand again, but this time there's a small ball of flame floating just above her hand. The woman throws the flame up in the sky and then catches it and says, You have powers like me. They're genetic. Vicky is still somewhat hesitant, but hears or more so feels the SUVs headed down the road towards her. She goes with the woman. They get in the woman's car and head off. During the ride, the woman reveals herself as Charlie McGee. She explains how her parents, Vicky's grandparents, had participated in an experiment during college and developed powers. Charlie had been on the run from the government for years and knew she couldn't hide if she had a newborn baby with her. So she had given Vicky up for adoption, but under a fake name. So nobody would suspect that Vicky might have those same powers or some version of them. Mm. Charlie had tried to stay close in case Vicky's powers ever surfaced and was watching when the men in suits first approached her. She had used her powers to burn them, but from the inside. She had learned to control her powers more over the years and developed a few tricks. As they drive, more and more of what Charlie said made sense. And with a little direction, Vicky is even able to test her firepower to light a little piece of paper in the car. It was true. She had powers. Insert your heartfelt conversations, sharing of family stories, and a heavy training montage as Charlie teaches Vicky how to control her powers Mm. and tests to see what else Vicky can do. It turns out that Vicky can also read mine some and is getting better at it every day. At some point, Vicky contacts her parents via a burner phone and lets them know she's okay. A burner phone. She could tell they were under duress and didn't give up much info. What'd you say?
1: A burner phone.
0: Oh, I didn't (laughs) even put it together. (laughs) I should, yeah, I read that with better flair, right? Flair. Uh, she could tell that they are under duress and didn't give up much info. She and Charlie also did a, b- a bit of recon to find that her parents are now being held at a facility nearby, which just so happens to be the home office of The Shop, mm-hmm. the organization that sponsored the original experiments on Vicky's grandparents. Vicky and Charlie hatch a plan to break her parents out and take down The Shop, but not before Charlie calls in a few friends that she met on her years on the run. It turns out there were others like her who had developed powers and could help with her mission. These friends were also on the run and wanted to retaliate against the shop. So it wasn't like they had to twist any arms. A few weeks after the men tried to take Vicky, a small team of powered people entered the facility and walked down a few minutes, walked out a few minutes later with f- a few extra recently freed prisoners. There wasn't much of a fight at all. Between mind control fire and people moving objects with their minds, the government agents never stood a chance. And since they weren't really aware of how many people were out there with powers, they weren't prepared for the attack. Vicky's reunited with her parents and they all get to know Charlie a little better. But at the end of the film, we pan back from a conversation in the living room with Charlie, her parents, and Vicky to see a monitor watching that conversation. The monitor is one of many and on the others we see footage of the Shop HQ attack. A team of scientists and military personnel watch. On other screens, we see profiles for each of the powered people, and in cells just down the hallway, we see more people detained. But these people are testing their powers against the cell walls, trying to escape. Roll credits.
1: Setting us up for another one.
0: Of course, yeah. I, I can't. I can't make one of these without a post-credit scene <laughs> or some sort of. It's. It's all about a franchise, man. We got to make those bucks off the yeah. franchise rights here. Yeah, I. I I had to have Drew Barrymore back. I, 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 I couldn't, I couldn't go on without her.
1: Yeah, that's that's the right move. That's a, that's a good move. I, I would like to see her back in in this as well. I think that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, I like that. That's um, there's some similarities, but you've got a, a different take on it, and I, uh, I like that it's a new uh, main firestarter character. Um, uh, just happens to be the daughter of Charlie. I think that works really well. And yeah, it's good to have Drew back in there, and uh, you've got that training montage. That's what I'm missing. You got to have that training. You got to. Ha- oh yeah.
0: I mean, we're just short of a a good theme song to go over the top of it. Something with fire, set a lot Ooh, in it. Oh yeah. Yeah, you got to. Yeah. Yeah. Th- this was a fun one to put together. I I, uh, I struggled with it like I do on many at first, but once I landed on the fact that we got to have Drew back, hmm. and I don't want him doing any sort of like you know trying to make her look younger or anything. Well, let's just lean into it. She's, she would have been, I did the math. She would have been in her mid thirties when she would have had the daughter for the age to work out. Mm. And I had to go a little older. I went like seventh, eighth grade, which is what? Like 12, 13. Yeah. Somewhere in that neighborhood. Because I, I couldn't even find anywhere that said, here's a good eight year old actress. And like I said, I already felt weird looking it up. <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> well, it's hard. It's always risky, like child actors. Like that's that's another. Like it's hard to find anybody that's naturally good, but then they have to be well directed. Like I'm sure they do dozens of takes and yeah. all this sort of stuff, and you know, coax them into different. Uh, what and that's emotions.
0: why I went with this actress too, because as I was reading through, she has the look. Of kind of a disheveled young lady who's kind of more of a tomboy, okay. less of a of a young lady. She was the right age, and that show, Young Sheldon, is all about directing a bunch of kids mm. to give their best performances. So I feel like she'd be comfortable in that kind of role. Yeah. And I haven't seen her in anything else. I don't I don't even remember if I looked to see if she's got more coming. I'm gonna look and see that's, if she's in sounds, anything. Uh, I,
1: that's quality casting there.
0: I, it was a tough one. I, I think I spent more time on the casting for her than I did on writing my whole pitch because I I looked the internet up up and down yeah as best I could. Let's see, she's in Young Sheldon, some movie called Young or Wish Upon. She was apparently in Modern Family for a few seasons. I don't remember that. Oh, hmm. so you have seen her because I know you've watched Modern Family. Yeah, we've seen that a few times. She was in Grace and Frankie for one episode. Oh.
1: Yeah, we watched that, too. And
0: She's in a podcast series. I'll have to what? see her face,
1: and then I'll be able to recognize, but I didn't look her up. Yeah,
0: she's she's really funny on uh, Young Sheldon. I really like her character on there. Real smart-ass. Cool. All
1: right, well, uh, like we talked about earlier, uh, Bloomhouse is going to be doing a new Firestarter um, sadly, uh, it doesn't look like Drew's going to be in this or unless she's going to be like a surprise appearance. They've got, they to. could do it. Uh, young girl tries to understand how she mysteriously gained the power to set things on fire with her mind. Uh, and a trailer is out for this right now. Uh, this is going to be out Ooh. on the 13th of this month. Uh, oh, were that uh, oh no, I'm staying. sorry. Of May. I was thinking it was, okay, I, I, I th- or unless I mistyped that. Okay. So we got a little while. I was thinking it was March. Um, not to look that up again. Actually, can you look I'll that look it up? up make sure? You? Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's the synopsis. Actors in this, Zach Efron, Ryan Kira Armstrong, Sidney Lemon, Gloria Rubin, Kurtwood Smith, Michael Grey Eyes, cool. Oh, that's the uh, and he's he's Cree. He's gonna be playing um uh Rainbird. Oh yeah. Uh, Tina Young, Nevin Patrick. Patrick, sure. Lynette Ware, sure, and Danny Woe. Uh, be directed by Keith Thomas. Only other feature length movie is The Vigil, uh, which I've not seen. So new new talent coming to this, which I I think that's something that they're not afraid to do. Uh, writers here are Scott Teams. Uh, oh, it's just Scott Teams who wrote The Quarry, Halloween Kills, and the upcoming Insidious Five. Can you believe that? What? There's going to be a fifth one. Wow. Okay.
0: He's definitely in the horror realm.
1: Yeah, keep going with us. All right.
0: It is May 13th, by the oh, way. Oh, thank you so great.
1: much. All right. So you've got you got a little time here, but again, we didn't really recommend you go watch the old stuff, so it uh, doesn't matter. But the, the trailer is out for this if you want to take a look. Um, and yeah, like I said, this is going to be uh, at theaters and on Peacock streaming, I think at the same time. Good. Um, Good. Good. Yeah, so I I don't know that that really means anything anymore as far as like assuming uh, the quality of a, a movie, you know, where it's released if it's in theaters or not. That's still decisions that people are making uh, about, um, you know, just in in the uh, in our times right now. Uh, but I think most things are gonna probably be theaters. So I, I guess what the new thing is is that they will go to theaters, but. Do you also want to have it on streaming? I, I'd like to see some numbers about how that's going with uh, movies. Yeah, streaming.
0: I'm interested too, but most of them hold their numbers very closely. Like I know Netflix has been public and saying they will never reveal their mm. numbers. And there was even an article where somebody's like, We've compared our numbers to Netflix. And the Netflix CEO came out and goes, No, you no, didn't. You didn't.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: no, no, you didn't. Me and her got it on. No, you didn't. <laughs> no,
1: uh-uh. no, you didn't. Alright, cool. Uh, So what do you you think? Uh, I mean, have you watched the trailer for this?
0: No, no. I purposely avoid any of the new stuff until we get to record, but I do want to check it out uh, for sure. I mean, if it's going to Peacock, well then I'll watch it when it hits Peacock for sure. I don't think I would pay to see this at theaters, but maybe after watching the trailer, I'll change my mind. We'll see.
1: Uh, Yeah, I mean, the trailer looks decent. Um, It it definitely looks like there's some money involved in this. So I think it's going to come down to, well, just like we're talking about, how is the new Charlie, you know, how's the actress there, the direction, and the effects. I think we can pretty much guarantee that the effects should be better. So... It's gotta be. That's cool. Um, but yeah, what's the story? Is it gonna be the exact same thing? Are they gonna change it up a little bit from the trailer? I can't really tell too much. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean... I don't know a lot of these people. I know Zach Efron. Um, but so it's hard for me to really I, make an assumption.
0: I recognize Michael Grey Eyes from something. I mm-hmm. wanna I wanna say he might be on. Nope, I just looked at his Woman Walks Ahead, Wild Indian, Crazy Horse. I've seen him in something before. Mm-hmm. I feel like it was a series. And then I, of course Kurt Ward Smith played uh, the dad on that seventies show, Dumbass. Yeah. And I'd buy that for a yeah. dollar from RoboCop. Yeah, he's great. and then John Beasley. I've seen him in several things, but uh, the rest of the cast, yeah. Oh, Gloria Rubin. I've seen Gloria Rubin, but the rest of the cast, I don't really recognize. I I really really like Zach Efron in everything. Yeah, I'm going to just admit it. I have I have. He's one of those actors I'll watch in whatever he's in, and he is my pick for the next Wolverine. Oh, interesting. But- that's, I'm never gonna get chosen. I'm never gonna get asked if I if what I think they should do with Wolverine. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who knows? I don't. I don't know what's gonna happen with all the. Uh, Maybe this X-Men is a
0: anymore. a backdoor reboot into the X Men franchise. You already made the references to it several times, and she's gonna become part of X Men, and Zac Efron will turn out to have been Wolverine, and I will be. I I predicted this years ago. Wow. What if I'm right? Wow, I've got I've got a podcast evidence that I called this year. <laughs> All
1: right, you heard it here first, folks. Uh, this is second, uh, second technically an X Men <laughs> prequel. Uh, <laughs> yeah, who knows? So you know, we're gonna get this soon. So uh, we'll, well, I think I'll check it out as well. Uh, on uh, actually, I don't have Peacock, so I don't know, but I'll figure it out. I'll find a way. Um, and yeah, so that is uh, the upcoming Firestarter I don't know that there's going to be plans for you know sequels or anything off that, but if since it's Bloomhouse, I think if it's successful at all, they'll make eighteen more of these.
0: What was the budget on this one? Did we see? No, I don't know yet. is that is that published information've I've got the IMDB page up. Let's look real quick. If it's a night if it's Bloomhouse, it seems like their way to approach things is to keep the budget relatively low, yes, in hopes of making a big payday because then they can put it into other projects. Mm. Uh, I don't see anything on budget here in the information.
1: But doesn't necessarily speak to uh, it being poorly made. Like, they do pretty well with the budgets they have.
0: Well, I mean, to get uh, Zach Efron in there, you had to pay some money. Mm. But by keeping nobody else a big name, maybe that's, that's where the majority of your budget went. And that draws people in. Could be. Okay. I don't
1: see any budget on the internet. No budget. Let's move on to trivia
0: oh i love this part i don't ever read these in advance so yeah this is some behind the scenes stuff you can find some of this on the internet but who actually takes the time to read it we pull it together so we can deliver right to your ear holes so you don't have to bother with all the reading
1: you're welcome
0: you want to you want to kick it off? Yeah, on? sure.
1: Uh, prophetically, a few years before she was cast in the film, six-year-old Drew Barrymore's mother thought that Drew resembled the girl on the source novel's paperback, Dust jacket. Drew once said, my mom had seen this book at the grocery store with a picture of a little girl on it. And she said, gee, this looks kind of like you. She said, "It." Uh, she asked if it was okay if she could buy it. And she did. When she read it, uh, she came into the kitchen where her mom was making dinner and said, I'm the fire starter. I'm Charlie McGee. But she didn't know what I was talking about. Uh, That's crazy. And then she became firestarter later. It is. So well, she would
0: have had to been like seven when she read yeah, that. Yeah, she book.
1: read that book then.
0: That seems wow, so.
1: Whatever. Well, if you let your kid get into acting, then uh, you're already a poor parent. Well, there you go.
0: <laughs> <laughs> George C. Scott wears an eye patch over his left eye during the final half hour of the film, which was due to the infection caused by the contact lens used earlier in the film. The eye was not quite healed and had to wear it to complete the filming of his scenes. Oh
1: my god. Well, contacts in the eighties, man, they were oof. You you wore them then, mm-hmm. like uh, yeah, I had hard contacts. They, they were glass. They hurt. Yeah, oof. Yeah, that stuff was no joke. Uh, this film was originally going to be directed by John Carpenter and Bill Lancaster, who wrote the screenplay for The Thing from nineteen eighty two. They even wrote a draft for the film, but according to Carpenter, Universal executives removed both of them from the project in the wake of the box office and critical uh Drubbing they received for the thing, uh, which is a mistake. Uh, I don't understand how anybody yeah. has a problem with the thing. What a great movie! I Yeah, I love. But them. if it didn't
0: make the money, that's all the executives care about.
1: Yeah, but they're fools. They like, go back and watch. The they thing are. Again. It's a
0: it's a great movie. They don't want to let the artists do the art. They just want the they want the spreadsheets. Man, to I look bet
1: nice. if John Carpenter had made this movie, it would have oh, been really good. good. I like. John Can you Carpenter.
0: imagine? Yeah, for sure. Music would have been better mm. <laughs> uh, in a twenty ten interview director Mark L. Lester confirmed that mark uh-huh l <laughs> Lester confirmed that this was the most difficult film that he'd ever made he said this was all practical effects the fireballs you see that's not cgi back then we actually created fireballs that could fly through the air they were on a wire and could crash into buildings we had people on fire that were on trampolines that had to flip through the air it was very dangerous all the effects were done right on the set it was all a pretty intense thing to do then yeah, pretty intense, and we saw the wires, bud. We we could see the fireballs on the wires. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I
1: don't know. I get, it's still kind of cool. Maybe that's where all the money went. I don't know how much the budget would have to be for to create each all of those stuff. fireballs
0: was done by the U.S. government and cost dollars. approximately one million dollars.
1: Yeah. One of six filmed adaptations of a Stephen King story produced in some capacity by Dino De Laurentiis. The other movies are Cat's Eye in 1985, Silver Bullet in 1985. I remember both of those, and I kind of like both of those. They're both yep. kind of lame, but they're also still pretty good. Maximum Overdrive in 86, Uh The Dead Oof. Zone in 83, and Sometimes They Come Back in
0: 1991. That's not a list to be proud <laughs> of if you're Dino De Laurentiis. <laughs> I think he probably hides that on his IMDb page. Oh, what this next one? Jennifer Connelly, who I've had a crush on since uh, since career opportunities, and Taylor Neff were considered for the role of nine year old Charlene Charlie McGee. I don't know. I loved Drew Barrymore, but I would have loved to have seen Jennifer Connelly in this role.
1: I wonder if she. I I don't know if she was a child actress. She'd done. Stuff yeah, she, she was she was in Labyrinth
0: oh, uh when she I'm was i
1: cool, of course. Yeah, she was in Labyrinth.
0: Yeah. But she was like what, 13, 14, yeah, 15 older, when yeah. they made that? Yeah. So I don't know when her acting career technically started. I'm going to look it up cuz yeah. I'd like to know.
1: Certainly she had She done is
0: to this that. day still just uh, one of the most gorgeous women I've ever seen and and very very talented.
1: Mhm. Yeah, she's good. I don't know if she's in enough stuff. I think she should be in more. Uh, yeah, well,
0: she's on that for another episode we did. She's on Snowpiercer the series now with a major right.
1: role. Yeah, I'm keeping up with that, but it's it's still going. Like it's in season two or three now.
0: She was in a Duran Duran music video in 1983, and then a movie called Once Upon a Time in America in 1984. Oh, I know that. So movie. yeah, she was already she was already at it.
1: Hmm. Cut. Okay. And she's great in Labyrinth. That's just a great movie. Uh, The film... Is this right? No. Drew Barrymore had to be filmed on a soundstage for certain scenes, including the climactic barn fire, which were shot at night because the production could not have her work all night long. They also used a dwarf lookalike as a double for her. (laughs) Oh,
0: wow. I honestly didn't catch that in the film, which is impressive.
1: Yeah, there's regulations on... um, Child actors Child that actors. can only work so many hours yeah. and stuff. So that's another complication with working. And I think it's with way
0: more stringent now. I'm sure. Yeah. It would probably take two or three times as long to film this movie now and up the budget mm. if you tried to keep the kid at eight years old. Yeah,
1: maybe.
0: Uh, the film was completely shot in Wilmington, North Carolina, because it was a non-unionized state in terms of both actors and for the production itself, which would have cost a lot more if it was shot in Los Angeles or New York. Smart.
1: In order to get Oscar winner George C. Scott in the part of John Rainbird, Dino De Laurentiis went directly to Universal Pictures to request an additional $1 million so they could cast him in the film. He's the big That's An payout. Oscar
0: winner in 84, 1 mil. Yeah. Now, what, what do you think it is now? 15, 20?
1: Yeah. Probably? Probably, yeah.
0: Hey, look. M.A. Lester no, said he never understood why Stephen King hated this film. He said during an interview, I know he hated The Shining because that movie was not his book. But in case of Firestarter, he had approved the script. He even worked on it. He was on the set and we talked about everything we were doing. He loved everything. The one thing that he especially criticized, the wind blowing through Drew Barrymore's hair, that was his idea to begin (laughs) with. At that time, he practically hated every movie that was made from any of his books. Finally, Dino got so fed up with him that he said, okay, you direct your own movie. Well, that was the absolute worst Stephen King film ever. So there you go. But he's a great writer and I don't want to get into a fight with him.
1: <laughs> yeah. Wasn't that Maximum Overdrive that he directed? Yes. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. It was notoriously. That was like a horrible experience for everybody. He directed that. Yeah.
1: One. <laughs> Let's just stick to writing books. In a TV interview. David Keith stated that in the barn scene where he's dying and Charlie has to cry, Drew Barrymore had trouble bringing forth tears. She asked Keith if he could give her a spanking just before the cameras rolled so she could really cry. Keith obliged. What? So she wasn't misbehaving. The presence
0: of that young girl to ask, will you hit me so I can <laughs> cry and make it look real on film? Oh, wow. No wonder she ended up on drugs a few years later. Jeez. <laughs> That's crazy, man.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's, uh, we
0: got drugs, a molester, oh, uh, all kinds of crazy stuff in this boy. One. Mr. Lester's <laughs> going to have some words with you. <laughs> I don't think we have to worry about him.
1: All right, folks. <laughs> this was another hot episode of Movie Retakes. <laughs> hot, I did it. Hot. I did the thing. Uh, thanks for joining us. Follow us on all those places. We're at Movie Retakes pretty much everywhere. You can find our podcast uh, that you're listening to right now all over the place. Uh, Recommend us to some friends. Give a review. Uh, Don't forget that keyword. We won't repeat it. Uh, And thank you for joining us. Uh, Also, uh, make sure you go and follow us over on Twitch. We're also at Movie Retakes there because we'll do some live uh, movie trivia episodes on those Wednesdays. And we have a watch or wait are we rescheduling that no that's the live uh we have a watch this week we're on right we have a watch along yeah. on saturday, saturday the 12th wait is that correct. right <laughs> Yep, okay that's correct. it's this saturday okay so I, as long as this episode's out before then um we're gonna have a watch along uh with the adam project the new ryan reynolds movie which i think is gonna I'm be a ton of fun so Looks good join us there i am matt support a writer read a book This is
0: Big Sully signing off as always with the big old Nerds Unite.